Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath secretary clinton mr trump welcome let's get right to it the first topic is the supreme court we you both talked briefly about the court in the last debate but i want to drill down on this because the next president will almost certainly have at least one appointment and likely or possibly two or three appointments, which means that you will, in effect, determine the balance of the court for what could be the next quarter century. First of all, where do you want to see the court take the country? And secondly, what's your view on how the Constitution should be interpreted? Is, do the founders' words mean what they say, or is it a living document <clears throat> to be affl- applied flexibly According to changing circumstances, in this segment, Secretary Clinton, you go first. You have two minutes. Thank you very much, Chris, and thanks to UNLV for hosting us. You know, I think when we talk about the Supreme Court, it really raises the central issue in this election. Namely, what kind of country are we going to be? What kind of opportunities will we provide for our citizens? What kind of rights will Americans have? And I feel strongly that the Supreme Court needs to stand on the side of the American people, not on the side of the powerful corporations and the wealthy. For me, that means that we need a Supreme Court that will stand up on behalf of women's rights, on behalf of the rights of the LGBT community, that will stand up and say no to Citizens United, a decision that has undermined the Uh, election system in our country because of the way it permits dark, unaccountable money to come into uh, our electoral system. I have major disagreements with my opponent about these issues and others that will be before the Supreme Court. But I feel that at this point in our country's history, uh, it is important that we not reverse marriage equality, that we not reverse Roe v. Wade, that we stand up against Citizens United, we stand up for the rights of people in the workplace, that we stand up and basically say, the Supreme Court should represent all of us. That's how I see the court and the kind of people that I would be looking to uh, nominate to the court uh, would be in the great tradition of standing up to the powerful, standing up on behalf of our rights as Americans. And I look forward to having that opportunity. I would hope that the Senate would do its job and confirm the nominee that President Obama has sent to them. That's the way the Constitution fundamentally should operate. The president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents or not, but they go forward with the process. Secretary Clinton, thank you. Mr. Trump, same question. Where do you want to see the court take the country and how do you believe the Constitution should be interpreted? Well, first of all, it's great to be with you, and thank you, everybody. The Supreme Court, it's what it's all about. Our country is so, so, just so imperative that we have the right justices. Something happened recently where Justice Ginsburg uh, made some very, very inappropriate 
statements toward me and toward a tremendous number of people, many, many millions of people that I represent. And she was forced to apologize and apologize she did. But these were statements that should never, ever have been made. We need a Supreme Court that, in my opinion, is going to uphold the Second Amendment and all amendments, but the Second Amendment, which is under absolute siege. Uh, I believe if my opponent should win this race, which I truly don't think will happen, uh, we will have a Second Amendment, which will be a very, very small replica of what it is right now. But I feel that it's absolutely important that we uphold because of the fact that it is under such uh, trauma. Uh, I feel that the uh, justices that I am going to appoint, and I've named 20 of them, the justices that I'm going to appoint will be pro-life. They will have a conservative bent. Uh, they will be protecting the Second Amendment. They are great scholars in all cases, and they're people of tremendous respect. Uh, they will interpret the Constitution the way the founders wanted it interpreted. And I believe that's very, very important. I don't think we should have justices appointed that decide what they want to hear. It's all about the Constitution of, of and, and so important, the Constitution the way it was meant to be. And those are the people that I will appoint. All right, so that was the opening statements from each candidate last night at the final presidential debate here in Las Vegas at UNLV. I thought that was the best question uh, that has been asked on the debates yet this year. I thought it was also uh, the best response from uh, Mr. Trump being uh, being a social conservative. I think that was a, a very strong answer from him to start out to be be solid on the Supreme Court there was very, very uh, encouraging to see for those, I think, on the right. I only saw the first uh, 30 minutes of the debate, then I listened to the next 30 minutes, and then the last 30 minutes I missed completely. So I uh, my my understanding of what went down is somewhat limited, so we're going to have uh, Dan Roth and Chris Cruz are going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour uh, to discuss it more in detail. But uh, I was I was home for the first half hour, so I was able to watch that driving the next half hour and then uh, and then picking up uh, my mom and sister at the airport for the final half hour of the debate. So I missed that uh, completely. But, you know, for those of you that were worried about the traffic downtown, which included myself, which is why I gave you all those road closures and things so I'm driving downtown and I was monitoring the uh, the metro's Twitter page because they were posting when closures were happening on which roads and when they were lifting them so by the time I get down there uh, to where to the to the spaghetti bowl area and I'm looking and uh, I was like huh I don't see a lot of traffic on the 15 around down to trop because that's the way I usually go to the airport and I had this whole other alternate going into the airport, the back way route, which would have taken me significantly longer. But I figured that was a better bet than sitting in traffic. So I'm looking and I think, huh, either that they've got it closed and that's why there's nobody there or nobody's driving there because they all think it's closed and there's nothing actually blocked off right now. So I was like, all right, I'm going to risk it. And sure enough. They had lifted the block, and I got it is the fastest 
probably that I have ever made it to the airport. Now, once I actually got to uh, the airport itself, it took me a little while to get into the airport. The traffic at, at the airport itself was uh, f- huge, but getting to the airport and through uh, the strip was super fast. I think because everybody stayed away because nobody wanted to be part of that. What was potentially going to be a, a, a mess downtown, but um, anyway. That's a random story that you probably didn't care about. So uh, I thought for the part of the debate that I did hear and that I did see, I thought Trump handily won the first 30 minutes. He was calm. He was cool. Uh, They stuck to substance. I thought Chris Wallace did a phenomenal job moderating. He stuck to issues. There was was actually conversation about issues in this debate. It only took us three debates to get to some issues, but we finally did, which was really nice to see. Uh, It was also nice to see... Uh, the two candidates, it wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't as personal because it was had some very personal moments, but unlike the previous two debates, that didn't seem to be the sole focus of what was happening. They actually addressed uh, some policy issues and what uh, they would do uh, specifically. And again, I, I credit a lot of that to Chris Wallace. He controlled the crowd well overall. He controlled uh, he moderated well between the candidates. He let them speak, but he didn't let them speak over each other. He asked pointed questions and direct questions to them both. I was very impressed with Chris Wallace. I think he did a, a really phenomenal job. As I said, I think Trump won the first 30 minutes. The next 30 minutes, I would probably call a draw uh, because that was when uh, Trump... <laughs> made his bad hombres comment and then uh um then they brought up the the uh the various scandals that have been in the news and he he in my opinion always well both of them whoever is playing defense i think is losing and seemed that he was more on the defensive the second 30 minutes i don't know what happened the last 30 minutes because after i picked up mom and anna from the airport i had zero interest in the rest of the debate anyway and how it had gone down because i was just excited that they're here in fact anna is actually in the studio right now but uh, so i don't know so we'll have dan and chris here we'll break the rest of it down i'll tell you what i think were the highlights and lowlights for each candidate from my perspective we'll get their perspective on that as well but first, we have a few more minutes, so let's hit a couple of stories. This one I found the other day, and uh, it just it, it amazes me. This election season, I, I would think at some point it would stop surprising me, but it, it doesn't. And I guess really this doesn't surprise me a whole, whole lot. But one of the things that we've learned from WikiLeaks is that the Clinton campaign is literally, literally spending millions of dollars to have her detractors trolled online. Now, on the one hand, this is smart. In an online world and where social media is everything, you want your own little army to respond to questions on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or wherever else. You want people that will share your stories, push your content, push articles that you like. You want to to define the narrative yourself. And so you you try to have this, this team of social media gurus that are just constantly, that's all they do. But the fact that you're paying this little army uh, not to share positive stuff about Hillary or respond to voters' questions, but instead to appear as legitimate supporters of Secretary Clinton and use the, these supposed supporters to harass people who may not be Hillary fans. That's 
that's going a step beyond into just plain weirdness. Um, this is from stream.org. Uh, paid trolls flood social media to counteract native, negative news about Hillary Clinton. By Rachel Alexander, a significant portion of online support for Hillary Clinton is manufactured by paid, quote, astroturf, unquote, trolls. That's what they call them. A large team of supporters who spend long hours responding to negative news on the Internet about her. The Clinton Super PAC Correct the Record, which is affiliated with her campaign, acknowledged in an April press release that it was spending $1 million on Project Breaking Barriers to pay people to respond to negative information about Clinton on social media sites like Facebook, Reddit, Reddit, Instagram, and Twitter. That amount then increased to over $6 million. They are paying $6 million for people to troll social media and respond to anything that they would see as being negative toward Mrs. Clinton's support or campaign. The trolls create a false impression that Clinton has more support than she really does because one supporter will frequently create multiple anonymous accounts. Libby Watson of the Sunlight Foundation observed that the AstroTurf effort goes far beyond merely defending Clinton to targeting and intimidating those who criticize her. She told the Daily Beast, this seems to be going after essentially random individuals online. Brian Donahue, Donahoe, Donahue, I don't, I don't know. Brian, we'll just call him Brian. He's the chief executive of the consulting firm Craft Media, explained the troll operation to the Los Angeles Times, saying, It is meant to appear to be coming organically from people and their social media networks in a groundswell of activism, when in fact it is highly paid and highly tactical. That is what the Clinton campaign has always been about. It runs the risk of being exactly what their opponents accuse them of being, a campaign that appears to be populist, but is a smokescreen that is paid and brought to you by lifetime political operatives and high-level consultants. <laughs> oh, Hillary's anonymous trolls, by the way, first targeted Bernie Sanders. The Daily Coast, which preferred Bernie Sanders over Clinton, observed some of these tactics during the Democratic primary. One author wrote, There have been a number of diaries claiming to have switched from Bernie to Hillary lately, and some of them have been from recently created accounts with no record of pro-Sanders remarks or diaries. The author further called the Clinton effort out, writing, We are on to your presumptive corporate shilling. The moderators of the Sanders subreddit, Sanders for president, wrote that the Bernie bro concept was created by fake accounts in order to establish a narrative that Bernie supporters are all racist, sexist young males who harass people online. David Frederick, co-founder and moderator of the subreddit, told The Atlantic when Sanders was still in the race, if anyone criticizes a Sanders supporter online, now there's doubt over whether it's a genuine exchange or if it's something that correct the record is behind. David Brock, a former right-wing activist who now works for Clinton and started the left-wing media site Media Matters, which ruthlessly, ruthlessly targets conservatives, is credited with creating the online trolling project. After the actor Tim Robbins, a Sanders supporter, received a barrage of tweets attacking him for speculating about election fraud hurting Sanders, Robbins reported to it responded to 88 different accounts with this tweet. Dear Correct Record Operatives, thank you for following today's talking points. Your check is in the mail. Signed, David Brock, D.C. That's actually really funny. But what's not funny is that, that this is happening. 
They even okay. I'm just gonna read one, one more paragraph from this from this campaign. Uh, Clinton hired a campaign manager this election cycle known for his scorched earth tax tactics. Robbie Mook started a listserv in 2009 known as Mook's Mafia to share political information with associates. He says things like smite Republicans mafia style and. Um, bad words republicans mafia till i die he has also said first the mafia never separates it just continues to grow and expand and move into other states in order to destroy republicans by choosing mook clinton reveals the type of campaign that she wants alinskyite tactics to do anything to win perhaps all this fake trolling won't prove to be worth it once outed the trolls will have a record to follow then around on the internet forever or to follow them around on the internet forever one of uh one individual told the Washington Post that he's been underutilized on the campaign and is miserable. At some point, making up fake identities has to become demoralizing to all but the most hardened of campaign operatives. This is literally, there is an entire organization, and this is all that they do. Six million dollars. Six million dollars is paid to these people to harass random individuals online who are not supporting Hillary Clinton. And this is a group that is affiliated with the Clinton campaign. It's not like some random uh, group of college kids that have nothing better to do. No, these are people. (laughs) The Clinton Super PAC, correct the record, which is affiliated with her campaign. They're paying people $6 million to harass random individuals online who say anything bad about Hillary or even just share articles that they would perceive as being in a in a in a bad light towards the Hillary campaign. That's that's just incredible. I don't even have commentary on that. It's its own commentary. Who who does that? That's a low blow low blow even for a a, a miserable little campaign. So let's talk about something happier which is donuts. Today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts Fundraising Opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round and can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. If your educational, religious community, or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Krispy Kreme can help. Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use, and you can visit KrispyKreme.com fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more. Our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. All right, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we will have Dan Roth and Chris Cruz with us. We'll break down the highlights, the lowlights of last night's debate. Tomorrow is Friday, which means we will take a break from politics completely, and we will be giving something away. So if you've been waiting for someone not to talk about politics, tomorrow is your day. But for now, we are going to play Amazing Grace from Noteworthy, and we'll be back in just a few minutes with Chris and Dan. Stay with us. Based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day. And that's not acceptable. Well, that is not what happens in these cases. And using that kind of uh, scare rhetoric is just terribly unfortunate. And I can tell you the government has no business 
in the decisions that women make with their families in accordance with their faith, with medical advice, and I will stand up for that right. Well, first of all, she wants to give amnesty, which is a disaster and very unfair to all of the people that are waiting in line for many, many years. We need strong borders. One of my first acts will be to get all of the drug lords, all of the bad ones. We have some bad, bad people in this country that have to go out. But we have some bad hombres here, and we're going to get them out. I don't want to rip families apart. I don't want to be sending parents away from children. I don't want to see the deportation force that Donald has talked about in action in our country. So I actually think the most important question of this evening, Chris, is finally, will Donald Trump admit and condemn that the Russians are doing this? I don't know, Putin. He said nice things about me. If we got along well, that would be good. If Russia and the United States got along well and went after ISIS, that would be good. He has no respect for her. He has no respect for our president. Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the United puppet, States. No puppet. And it's pretty clear. You're the puppet. It's pretty clear. She doesn't right. like Mr. Putin because Putin Mr. has outsmarted her at every Mr. step Trump, of the way. I, I, Excuse I, I, me. Mr. Putin has Mr. outsmarted Trump, her. In Mr. Syria, Trump, he's outsmarted her every here, right? step of the way. I, and I didn't even apologize to my wife, who's sitting right here, because I didn't do anything. I didn't know any of these women. I didn't see these women. These women, the woman on the plane, the woman, I think they want either fame or her campaign did it. And I think it's her campaign, because what I saw, what they did, which is a criminal act, by the way, where they're telling people to go out and start fistfights and start violence. And I'll tell you what. In particular, in Chicago, people were hurt and people could have been killed in that riot. All right. So those were some of the highlights from last night's debate. Like I said, I only saw the first half of it because I had an airport run actually down. I, I went right past UNLV. I saw the news area and everything. It was it was crazy down there. But anyway, since I couldn't be around for the whole thing, I brought in some of my trusty millennial friends to help analyze this debate. We've got Chris Cruz and Dan Roth on the line. Gentlemen, how are you today? Doing pretty good. Thank you. All right. So we have survived. The final debate is over. Let's um, let's just get an initial. Who do you think won? And then we'll break it down. Chris, who's the who's the winner? If you got to pick one, if I have to pick one, honestly, oh, it sucks. It's just Hillary Clinton got this in the bag. Sadly, oh. she did. Dan, do you agree with that, or do you have a different opinion? Uh, honestly, I thought it was a tie. Both uh, had a pretty much equal number of times where they seemed brilliant and equal number of times where they seemed to fall on their face. So this one I kind of called a draw. Yeah, I, I, like I said uh, earlier, well, you guys weren't here, but I only actually watched the first about 30 minutes. I personally thought Trump dominated the first 30 minutes. I thought he was solid. I thought he was right on with his answers. I thought he had some good lines uh, as opposed to to Hillary. I thought was just kind of eh. And then uh, I was able to listen to maybe another 20 minutes of it. uh, And then I thought Trump started to stumble a little bit in there. Um, Hillary then went into... When I when Hillary gets in angry mode, like I feel like angry Hillary is losing Hillary, but I, I could be wrong. It might just be me. So let's, uh, Dan, we'll start with you. Give us what you think are, were your two best moments for Trump in last night's debate, and then we'll go to Chris, and then we'll switch candidates, and then we'll look at the lowlights. So two best moments for Trump last night, Dan. So probably the two best for Trump were kind of, as you mentioned, early on when they talked about the Supreme Court, where he 
brought up that, you know, we've got to respect the Constitution and he's going to get people who are going to stand up for amendments right. as opposed to where Hillary brought up. She wants them to take this particular stance and this particular stance. So for Trump, that was a major win for him. Really, I think, kind of made some of the people on the right who are uneasy about voting for him probably brought them a little bit of comfort uh, in that regard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then also, I would say, uh, as he brought up uh, the recent uh, Project Veritas videos, uh, pointing out how people on the left have been trying to incite violence at Trump rallies, uh, I kind of wish he went harder on it. He just kind of mentioned it and left it. He didn't really drive that point home. Yeah. And as big as that story is and could be, for him to just kind of touch on it and then leave it, uh, I thought was kind of a little bit of a loss on his opportunity there. But he did bring it up, so that was uh, very helpful for him, I believe. Sure. Chris, what do you think? Any uh, Any highlights for you on the Trump side? Yeah, he did a really good job when he came to uh... – I agree with Dan when he came to talking about the Second Amendment. But I also, uh, he had a great moment when he actually focused the debate on Clinton and Obama foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, sh- it shows, you know, that there have been failures during this administration and the previous administration, which was Obama as well. Mm-hmm. And the previous administration was Obama and Clinton. Yeah. And so that's. That's one of the two points, uh, especially when he talked about – he could have done a little better when he talked to, uh, about the uh, Supreme Court and the Constitution, but it's okay coming from him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think his number one moment was right out of the gate. He, his strong start was the Supreme Court question. I thought he uh, he hit that one out of the park for him. I was, I was impressed. Um, and the fact that he went into then partial birth abortion, which I, I didn't know that he would – go there um and i think you know he could have explained it better we could argue that but just the fact that he he made it somewhat graphic and he made it somewhat personal and that he went there at all i think was was a strong moment for him um like dan as you said i think if there are still anyone on is still anyone on the right that's saying i just don't know what to do that may have helped to ease their concerns a little bit um i also thought uh, when uh, he got to the Clinton Foundation, I thought he did well making a good point there about uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar and and women's rights. You know, he he went after her on that a little bit. I thought that was a good um, a good comeback for him. But then, of course, Clinton retorts with the uh, the Trump Foundation and their six foot portrait. So that was. She kind of offset that one, I thought, but I thought it was good that he got that in there. Okay, so let's go now to uh, for Hillary. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you on this one. Did you think that Hillary had any? What were Hillary's strongest moments for you? I think Hillary does this really well. Um, is that she can, she can play into the the groups that the left has created. Um, last night, she was able to kind of kind of put out the whole vibe of Donald Trump does not care for women. She's Mm. good on those points because that sells to the lower, uh, to the low, low information voter. Oh, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm gay and I want to be married. Trump is against that because Hillary said that. So those are the two things I think is when she talked about, uh, Roe v. Wade, and the uh, LGBT community, those are her two strong points because she knows how to talk to them and she knows how to use her words to manipulate their vote. 
Sure, sure. She went after her base well there. Dan, what do you think? What were Hillary's strongest points in the debate last night? Well, I think uh, just general overall, she seemed much more composed than uh, Donald Trump did. There were times where Trump started really acting like a five-year-old, and Hillary Clinton didn't have as many of those childish moments. So for somebody who just really doesn't understand uh, foreign policy, domestic policy, what's best for the economy, you know, if you're just looking for somebody who looks like they're going to be able to handle the job, Hillary did a much better job of presenting herself than Donald did, and I think that's uh, where she scored a lot of points. Yeah, and as and I'm, I'm not not in his defense, but obviously Hillary, as Trump has now reminded us many times over, she's been doing this for 30 years. So you can really see many times, especially in situations like this where they're up head to head, you can see that she knows how to play the game. Like Chris was saying, she knows the talking points. And now, as as you're alluding to, Dan. She knows how to present herself as a as a good politician, but that's also you know one of Trump's one of Trump's selling points has always been that he's not a politician. Sometimes I think that works, and other times I think it might hurt him a little bit. Dan, like you were saying last night, it, it does come across that he doesn't uh, he's not a politician. So just I think that depends on if people want that or they don't. Uh, for me, I thought when Hillary started pushing uh, the Putin issue. I didn't think the issue itself went very far, but I thought she got some really strong points in there when she called um, when she said that he would be his puppet as president and she was pushing the puppet line. And you could see that clearly get under Trump's skin and he's going, no puppet, no puppet. You're the puppet. But I think she won that exchange overall. And then also um, when she back to what Chris said, playing to her base, uh, she responded to the the fitness for office question which overall I thought Chris Wallace did a great job uh that was the one thing that I thought he may have slanted a little bit in that he he took the question to Trump but then never really asked the same question of Hillary in in a in a so does this make you unfit for office type way so that helped Hillary be able to set that up and she had a what I thought was a very effective line to her base um and even to just the woman the female vote in general uh, when she said that Donald thinks belittling women makes him bigger, and uh, I don't think there's any woman out there who doesn't know what that feels like. So obviously she's she's trying hard for that female vote there. Um, okay, let's do uh, let's do some low lights. Uh, Dan, we'll go back to you for Hillary. What were what were the the low moments for her in your in your view? Well, I think uh, really it was a lot of the dodges. She just kind of skipped out on a question uh, when the whole uh, Project Veritas videos were brought up. She didn't even really address it at all, and it was blatantly obvious that she dodged that question. So that, I think, for people that were really you know, focused, paying attention, might have stopped because that was probably the first time they heard about the videos. Sure. And then for her to just kind of skip out on answering it, that, that raised a few red flags. So I think she really lost out there. And then you know, going back to the uh, uh Supreme Court, her bringing up specific positions she wants the court to hold, I mean, anyone who realizes that a judge is supposed to be impartial and weigh the facts is going to be a little troubled by that answer, but those right. who agree with her would love it. So again, playing to her base, but also kind of hurting her, her in those places where people uh, are still kind of up in the air. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I was actually surprised that that was the direction that she went with that question because I thought it was a very pointed, very direct, very solid question from Wallace. And he specifically asked uh, about the Constitution and if it's a living document. I didn't think Hillary was going to even mention the Constitution in her response, but then she found a way to work it in at the end as, oh, and by the way, if uh, if you really want to have the Supreme Court like the way the Constitution intends, then they need to give an up or down vote on Obama's Supreme Court nominee. That's the Constitution. I was like, well, that was really lame, but okay. Um, Chris, what about you? What did you think were some low points for Hillary? Um, low points was, again, is the whole Constitution, because it reminded me of her first answer, which was in the second debate, that she said, you know, she wants to bring a, a justice that is like pop culture and knows the world. Um, so it goes back to, you know, for those conservatives that know that they're not going to be voting for her. Yeah. Yeah, and I um, I, I, I think that contrast... Kind of, yeah, yeah, go ahead. To that. And then also the uh, Clinton uh, Foundation answer. Mm. Um, we know that it's, you know, by now, I'd say maybe 80% of the population knows that the Clinton Foundation is is laundering money. So that's one of the things that she wasn't, she wasn't able to kind of stop the whole Hinton Foundation uh, kind of talk. So those were two things that she couldn't just um, give a, a straight up answer. But then again, she was playing. I felt like last night she was playing straight to the to her base. I think both were playing to their bases. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. Although I think in in previous exchanges, to a large degree, Mr. Trump hasn't really. Uh, either known or understood how to play to his base, if you will, so hasn't succeeded as well at that. I thought he did a better job with that last night uh, in some ways. Um, I agree with you guys regarding her 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 low points. The one other one that I think she had was when uh, Trump had brought up the open borders issue, and then she, she just wrote it off, but Wallace came back and said, no, we've learned from WikiLeaks that you said this. And then he quoted her line from the Brazilian speech, mentioned how much money she made at that speech, which I thought was fantastic, and uh, and did a direct quote. Trump, of course, then leans into his mic and says, thank you. And she says, oh, well, you know, if you if you read the whole quote, I was actually talking about energy coming across our borders, not immigration. And it was just so bizarre because in... If you listen to Wallace explain it, it's not. It's very clear that it was not about energy and the fact that she took it that direction. I thought that was one of her weakest moments because it was just like, really, that's that's where you're gonna go with this one? Okay, good luck. Um, all right, so uh, so last round here, Trump lowlights. What were some uh, some lowlights for Mr. Trump, Chris? We're gonna start with you because my. Like I said, I only saw the first 30 minutes, and the low light for me in those first 30 minutes was when he said, uh, bad hombres. Uh, I was like, oh, it was going so well. What just happened? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, hombres. Um, um, here's the thing with Trump. Trump, uh, I think Dan said it. He kind of channeled his inner child, like you with them. Um his low points are always the same low points since the first debate. Um, is the whole interrupting and not letting the other person talk. Uh, it, that's one of the things that will turn a lot of people because he's still disrespecting that other person that is speaking. And it's debate one-on-one. Let the other person talk. You're going to have a chance 
to um, to talk. Then uh, another thing was when we were talking about women. Um, yes, uh, Hillary was able to play the woman card. And then Trump, you know, we all know what is going on. The allegedly stuff that is going on. I mean, when he said that he loves a woman, nobody else loves a woman more than him. It, it, and it, those things are kind of his lowest point. So when he channels his inner child and lets that inner child come out and start interrupting and start saying those one-liners that we all know since last year, um, those are his lowest points. And because the way that I see it is um, he gets asked a question, and then all of a sudden he goes into this mode, like, okay, I got I to gotta put in – Make America great again. We're going to build a wall and all his talking points. And then when he sees the clock that he still has one minute left, instead of just keeping his mouth quiet, he just starts going down a tantrum and just starts going like veer completely off the road of what they were talking about. So the lowest points for Trump's are they say he interrupts a lot and then he's trying to get all his sound bites in two minutes and they just sound like a drunk uncle. All right. Uh, I, 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 I agree. I think he, I, I believe I was home when he had that liner. I, maybe I was listening in the car at that point. But yeah, when he said that um, no one, I, I, I don't remember what the exact line was, but the gist of it was no one treats women better than I do. I, I thought the same exact thing. I was like, no, don't just don't say that because that is not going to fly anywhere at all. Uh, Dan, what did you think? Low points for Trump. Well, I, I will never forget the whole puppet bit where all of a sudden he's like, no, you're a puppet. I'm like, are you in the first grade? Because that's the sort of talk I expect my first grader to basically take an insult and throw it back at the other person. I have expected him to go into, yeah, I'm rubber, you're glue. But thankfully he didn't go that far. Uh, and then uh, there, I can't remember exactly what Chris Wallace was talking about, but it was something kind of negative about Hillary Clinton. And Donald Trump had to jump in and say, correct. I, why? Just let it go. You don't need to jump in on everything. Uh, but between the, you know, the childish behavior and then also just, you know, the way he pronounces certain words. And, you know, I'm trying to watch this debate as a millennial and how I imagine most millennials would watch this. And uh, I was live tweeting the whole thing. And just anytime he said China or Bigly or things like that, all of a sudden the attention on social media was in the way he talks, not what he was saying. Sure. So for those that were like me that were live tweeting it, following it on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, we immediately stopped listening to what he said and just discussed the way he said it or the words he chose because it just seems odd. Sure. And I can't imagine how many people have just tuned him out for moments that may have been great moments where he made a great point, all because of how he talks. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good point, and I think it, it goes well with, with what Chris was saying. The other thing that I thought for him was, was a low point, and again, overall, I thought this was his best debate performance. And I, I would tend to agree with you, Dan, that it was a draw. That's my perspective. Chris thinks Hillary won. We'll let, we'll let Chris, you know, have his little island of of that but um i thought i thought overall 
the the difference between his first debate and this debate. I think he's come a long way as far as understanding how to debate, how to pivot. I thought he learned how to pivot much better uh, last night. He didn't feel like he had to answer everything, at least not at the beginning. But again, I didn't see the rest of this, so I'm I'm learning from what you guys are saying too. His other thing that I think. Uh, was potentially his lowest point. And again, it goes back to what you said, Dan. It wasn't necessarily what he said, because the context of what he's saying is not necessarily bad. It's just you didn't need to say that, um, because that's what the headline is going to be. And that's... um, when they were talking about the elections being rigged, and he could have talked, uh, you know, more about the videos, as you alluded to earlier, Dan, and he could have hammered home that point, but instead it drifted into this: uh, Are you going to accept the results of this election and have the help the country come together? And he basically said, "No, I'll leave you in suspense. I'll decide when the time comes." Now, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that answer as an answer. But I also don't think that's the time to say something of that nature, because if you're going to make that statement, then you've got to be able to back it up with something. You can say, well, Al Gore didn't accept the election results. So, you know, I'm like Al Gore. I'm going to wait and see what happens. Or, you know, you have to have some reasoning behind that. If you just leave it hanging like that, then that's what the media is going to run with. And that's what all the headlines are going to be. And when I woke up this morning, that's what I saw. And I was like, oh, what did what happened? So I think that was a low point for him, not because it's a bad point overall, but just because of how it was presented and the lack of historical context that went along with it. So that's my thought. Um, Like I said, at least for the first part, I thought he came out of the gate strong. Not sure towards the end, uh, when I read through the transcript of the rest of it this morning and saw some more highlights, I tend to agree, as I mentioned, Dan, with you, that it was a draw overall. But I think it was still his best performance thus far. So uh, final question, then I have to let you guys go because I'm running out of time here. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, Prediction for Election Day. Who takes the House, or the House, I think the House will stay with the GOP, but who takes the White House and uh, how does the GOP fare in the Senate? Okay, so I guess I'll be the most disliked person today, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) <laughs> I think Hillary Clinton has this in the bag. And to your audience that do not know me, I do not support either of them. But after watching the three debates, after watching what is happening out there, and after watching what I believe is one of the biggest self-practicing campaigns, I believe Hillary Clinton has this. Um, the GOP, um, I really hope that this doesn't happen, but I believe that um, last night Trump was really playing into his base of the rig. Um, I think that's why he refused to say that the election, uh, to accept the results of the election. Um, I think Donald Trump is going to cause the whole burn the system down, uh, to be straight up honest. So I think what's going to happen with the GOP is going to be even more divided. Um, and either a new system is going to come out, or we're just going to keep going down the self-destruction until, like, the Phoenix just rises from the ashes, and something better will rise from the ashes. Um, but in my opinion, um, if Hillary Clinton wins, I don't think we'll have that much damage. And same thing with Trump. I just think right now we just uh, – it showed that the low-information voters are basically not even paying attention. And this election has woken up a lot of people. So I believe for the next maybe two uh, elections, real elections, not midterm elections, a lot of people will get more involved, especially the millennial generation that is just – 
angry at both sides. Uh, so I think right now we just I'm just waiting for the Phoenix to rise, and hopefully nothing bad happens, and everybody's able to sit back after November 8th, and I would say, okay, the results are in. That's what happened, and they're able to say, now what can we do as a country to come together? Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that answer, Chris. You are you are not the most hated person uh, by any means. <laughs> if you were, I would not have you back. Uh, Dan, what's uh, what's your prediction? What do you think's ha- going to happen? Well, I think we are going to see a Hillary Clinton victory. I mean, just looking at the poll numbers and the current trends and the data. I mean, unless there is something absolutely horrible that comes out about Hillary Clinton. Uh, I don't see how she's going to lose this one. And, and as Chris kind of mentioned, you know, we're going to have to do some soul searching as a Republican Party because uh, this will be the third election where the Republican candidate lost. What is the Republican Party doing wrong? Why do they keep picking losers? This is all things that will have to be sorted out uh, if it does end up being Hillary Clinton. Uh, because if they want to uh, have the influence in this country that the Republican Party seems to want to have, they've got to do something different because what they're doing now just isn't working. Yeah, and I would tend to agree with both of you. Looking at the poll numbers, it does not look uh, by any means overwhelmingly positive for the GOP as far as the White House is concerned. I think uh, the Senate was in question, I would have argued, about a week, week and a half ago. Right now, looking at what's going on in Pennsylvania with Toomey, and then I think Rubio has pretty much shored up in Florida. I think he'll be fine there regardless of what happens with Trump. So I think that the GOP is going to maintain control of the Senate. Uh, Dan, as you said, unless something happens within the next three weeks and with early voting happening uh, I think that early voting is going to tend to go uh, largely Hillary because um, well not largely Hillary but I think that if there is something that were to happen that might persuade many individuals uh, they may have already voted so in because of that early voting may tend to favor uh, Secretary Clinton the other thing I the only reason I think that Trump may have a chance of pulling this out is because I would not be shocked if there are a good amount of people out there, maybe not the millions that he might need, but I would not be surprised if there are a lot of people that publicly to pollster to po- yeah to pollsters at their water coolers wherever else are saying, "Oh yeah, I, no Trump," but when they actually get in the voting booth that then would would go ahead and vote for him because then they're the only ones that know but publicly say something else. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Um, I don't think that Hillary will have an overwhelmingly huge victory, or huge, depending on how you'd like to say that, but my thought would be at this point that Hillary will probably uh, win unless something, Dan, as you mentioned, happens. And then, as you both said, I think that it will be very interesting to see where the GOP goes moving forward if Hillary is elected, because I think there is going to be uh, a lot of soul-searching, a lot of potential infighting, even if you will, a lot of finger-pointing, which will be unfortunate, but uh, hopefully you know, something good will come out of all of this and we can all move forward and and, you know, make the GOP great again, possibly. But anyway, I'm out of time. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Chris. Uh, where are you guys on Twitter so people can find you if they would like to agree with you, disagree with you, send you hate mail, things like that? Dan, well, uh, you, you can, can go first. Me. Okay, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> you can find me at Twitter, RC underscore K-R-I-S, and it's Chris Cruz, K-R-I-S. 
C-R-U-Z. All right, and it's Chris uh, chriscruzblog.com, right, is your website? Yes, chriscruzblog.com, yes, ma'am. All right, and Dan, where are you at? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Dan12R. Dan12R. All right, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you being here. Everyone else, our time is up. Thank you for tuning in. We are KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. I am Crystal Heath. This is The Frittle Show. Tomorrow is Fun Friday. No politics. We're going to give stuff away. And don't forget, Sunday, if you would like to join us for services, you can do that at 9.30 or 11.15. We're going to finish today with Britt Nicole and the Lost Get Found. Have a great day, and we will see you back here tomorrow. Same time, same place. See ya.